This Torah class is brought to you by TorahAnytime.com. That um, there's two very different things going on on Pesach night by the Seder. They're, they're a paradox, they're opposites of each other. One is supposed to feel like a king and a queen, and the other is supposed to feel like um, matzah, right? We say we eat matzah, and, and really the matzah is the source of the source of the whole Seder. The Seder plate, right, has three matzahs, the Seder kara, has three matzahs, the coin Levi Yisrael, and on top of that, right, is the whole Seder, is Haroses and the Marah and the Zroah and the Beya, all the different things, the Karpas, right? So it rests, the top rests on the matzah. The matzah is the source of the whole Seder. In, in Kabbalah, it talks about that we're, we're building a, a person, because a nation, right, we came into Mitzrayim as Shivim Nefesh, 70, 70 separate entities, and we became one nation, right? So you can't have a nation without a person. You can't have a person first. You have a bunch of people, you have a nation. Without people, you can't have a nation. So we build a person at the Seder, and in turn, we build a nation. So a person is made out of, the Gemara talks about this, there, there, are, there are three parts to a person. There are the organs, and there is the skeleton, and then there is the soul. So, this, the, the three part is a, is, a, is a husband, a wife, and Hashem. Hashem, he blew in the neshama into a person. So God takes care of the neshama part. From the, the Gemara says that from the woman comes all the organs. Anything that has color in your body, inside your body, anything that has color, your kidneys, your heart, your liver, right? They're all different colors. If you ever see a model of a, person, right? Um, your blood, red, right, red. Anything that has colors, your veins, anything that has colors comes from the woman. Anything that's colorless comes from the man. Um, co- well, not colorless, but like white, no color. Um, the co- only other color white, and that's the skeleton. Okay, the skeleton of the human being, the bones. The bones in your body come from the father. The, the veins and the organs come from the mother. So, we build a person, so the matzah, which is white, unless you're eating whole wheat, but it's supposed to be white, and unless it's burnt, the matzah, which is white and hard, is the skeleton of the person. When you build a person, if you were to build a person, the first thing you need is the skeleton. And then you put on the veins, and then you put on the, you put inside the organs. But the skeleton, without a skeleton, you can't do anything, right? So, also, if you took the organs of a human body and put them in a pile, and you took the organs of an animal and put them in a pile, certain animals and certain humans, maybe monkeys, if you just did the organs, you would not know what is what, because animals have kidneys, and animals have livers, and animals have pancreases, and brains, and hearts. So if you just did organs, and you're like, okay, which is human, which isn't? You wouldn't be able to know. But, if you take the skeletons of an animal and the skeleton of a human, you'd look right away and say, that's human and that's a cow. Right? That's human and that's a giraffe. So, the skeleton of a person is different. Organs or not. So, you have to build a person on the Seder night. So you have to start with the basis of a person, the foundation, which is the skeleton. Therefore, you have three matzahs that are underneath all your colorful stuff, karpas, mara, charoses, those all represent the organs. So the atzamos that come from the father is what represents the skeleton of the person, or the skeleton of the Jewish nation. So, we're going to look at matzah tonight and try to understand what is doing with this skeleton called matzah. It's called, we open up the Haggadah and we say, Halach Ma'anya. This is a poor man's bread. So, really, we lean, right? We lean to be like kings because in the, in the old days, the kings would eat on a couch. Poor people didn't eat on a couch. The king would lay, would lay down on a couch and they would bring in the grapes. You know, you see all the pictures of grapes and his wine. He would eat. Mama's laying down. Regular people had to sit at the table. You couldn't lay down. That's, that was just for a king. So, 
leaning, right? The fourth question of the Manashtana, the Subim, leaning. You have to lean. You have to, not if you want to. I don't, I, I looked it up. I'm, I, I only look at the kids there, but I don't know what the halacha, I thought I learned the halacha that women should not lean. What's, what do you most do? You lean when you drink the wine? Most ladies, you lean? You don't lean? What? Yeah. You do lean. Okay. I don't know. I saw somewhere it's not sneeze. I don't remember where I saw it. The women, what? No, if most women lean, then I guess that's not, I, I, whatever. What? No, you're supposed to lean. You're supposed to lean. I don't know. I, again, I'm sure I get a bunch of emails to find it or not, if I'm right or wrong. I remember just learning that women are not mechaif to lean. I don't know why. Okay, but my family also leans, so... No. Everyone gets a pillow, the men get a pillow. Women don't get a pillow. Do you get pillows? No. So then you're not supposed to lean. You're supposed to lean, why don't you get a pillow? What? But if you're supposed to lean, probably you would have a pillow. All right. If anyone, if anybody knows the answer to this question, please... I know it's in the Talmud Minhagim. I didn't get a chance. I only looked in the Kitzur Shacharach. Um, please send me an email. If women are supposed to lean, um, okay. But anyway, the halach is that men definitely have to lean. So we, we lean by the wine because the, the wine are the four the four cups of the four signs of Geula. So it makes sense. We redeemed the fifth cup, which is Eliyahu Navi, which right that's the Hevesi that's bringing us into Eretz Yisrael. So I understand why I'm leaning. But if matzah is lechem oni, if matzah is um, the food of a poor man, why do I have to lean when I eat matzah? It's the total paradox. I'm leaning like a king, but I'm eating like a poor man. Doesn't make any sense. What am I? A king or a poor man? A king doesn't eat lachmanya. You should be serving me kosher pesach sponge cake. Seven layer, chocolate leaves. Bomb bomb from chicks, whatever. All the good stuff. What are you giving me hard matzah, right? So, tonight's question is, why do you lean when you eat matzah? If matzah is lechem oni, why is matzah called lechem oni? Anyone here know why it's called the poor man's bread? Because at $37 a pound, if you have to buy it for your family, you're going to end up being a poor man. No, but that's not the reason. That's a joke. The real reason is four reasons. Reason number one, is that a poor man never knows when he's going to have his next meal. So he he eats matzah and he cracks off a piece, eats it, and puts the rest away. He's not sure when he's going to have his next meal. So matzah is very crackable. You crack a piece, you eat it, put it away. So he doesn't eat a whole matzah. He just eats a piece. So it's called lechemone. That's one reason. Another reason is what you learn in school is that, that it never rose. And a poor man's hopes and self-esteem, right, doesn't rise. Another reason is that it's made from poor ingredients. There's no sugar, there's no salt, there's no, there's no honey, there's no oil. So it's just made from water and flour. So it's very, very poor ingredients. And the fourth reason is that poor people eat matzah because it's hard to digest. And therefore, if you eat it, right, and you can't go to the bathroom because it's hard to digest, your stomach stays full much longer. So since they, 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 they knew they didn't have money to buy a lot of food, so they would buy matzah, they would eat it, and then they would feel full the whole day. So those are the four reasons that's called poor man's bread. None of those reasons is for a king. So what is going on over here? Why are we eating poor man's bread and leaning? The whole night is like that, by the way. You know, the first two questions in Manashtana is all of the nights we eat bread, tonight we eat matzo, all of the nights we eat regular vegetables, tonight we're eating bitter, right? So that's, the first half is poor bitter. The second half is tonight, why do we dip like a king, and why do we lean like a king? So like, what's going on over here? By the way, it's just very interesting that children have to say to Manashtana, Right? It's very big into children. Just my little Vatora is that, that the Manishtana represents Chinuch. Kids don't have to know Halach Ma'anya. You know, they like to sing Dayenu because it's a cute song. But they don't really need, they don't really know what the rest of the little kids don't really know what the rest of God was talking about. 
But every kid knows Manashtana. My little teeny, teeny, weeny granddaughter, teeny, weeny little kid is like, Manashtana. Like every, every nursery teaches Manashtana. Not every nursery teaches Avadim Hayinu or Halach Manya. So it seems to be that Manashtana is Chinuch. So how come all the schools have a problem with kids asking questions? A, a, a principal told me, Rabbi Wallstein, we would love to have you speak in our school. The problem is that when you speak, you open up girls' minds, and even though you ask questions and you give answers, but it causes them to ask more questions, and we're scared that no one's going to be there to give them the answer. And therefore, we just rather you don't come all together. In certain schools, I'm just not invited to speak because. So I said to this principal, I said, "Really, like you don't like questions?" And they're like, "No, no." Torah says what Torah says. I'm like, really? Like, do you teach Rashi? They're like, "Yeah, sure, we teach Rashi." I'm like, every second Rashi has a question. Like, why do you teach Rashi? No, that's different. So the first thing to all the people who are listening to me tonight, the Baal Haggadah, when the whole family is sitting together, is saying, children, the Torah wants you to ask questions. And if things don't make sense, ask. It doesn't make sense that every single night I have bread and every single Shabbos, because really, it's a very interesting shit that I heard on this, that really... Why did the kid ask Manashtana? Why does he ask Manashtana? Because when he comes to the Seder, what does it look like? What does it look like? The family's sitting together. Everybody's dressed well. His father has a silver cup with grape wine in it. It looks like Shabbos. Now, if you're a little kid and you're coming to a Shabbos table, you got four questions here. One, where's the challah? Where's the challah? Two, crane, you eat with the fish. What, what's going on here tonight? Every night, every Friday night, mommy makes a salad. She always makes salad. Where's the salad? Why are we eating mara? Three, what's going on here tonight with all this dipping in, you're dipping into salt water? Why are we dipping into salt water? Right? We usually just put salt on the table and we dip it in the salt. What's that salt water doing on the table? It doesn't make any sense. And, Ma, you always scream to me at the Shabbos table, when are you going to learn to sit straight? And now you're telling me, lean. (laughs) So the kid who comes to the Shabbos table, which is the Seder table, these are his four questions. And this answers an amazing question. And I, as a kid, my Rebbe asked this question, and I could not figure it out. And the que- now you'll know the answer. And the question is, there should be a fifth Manashtana. Why all other nights of the year you make Kiddush on one cup of wine? And tonight, four cups of wine. Well, that's as far as an alcoholic. Why don't we ask that question? And it is such a simple answer. It's ridiculous. And I remember when I was in school in 8th grade, I really asked this question, and none of us could figure it out. That is like the ultimate question. Oh, the night you make Kiddush, one cup. Tonight, four cups. And the answer is that all the child saw so far by the Manashtana is one cup. And that he sees every Friday night by Kiddush. He's not going to ask why do you have four cups. He didn't have four cups. He comes to the table again. Understand what the Manashtana is based on. He comes to the table. He looks at the table. He's a little kid. He sees matzah. I don't know. What, what is that? I don't know what that is. He sees salt water. What, what is that all about? Right? Dipping? Why are we dipping? Why are we dipping? We, we never dip a whole year. Why are we, what, what, are we, what are we dipping for? Right? He sees marar. Like, why would you, why, why at a Shabbos meal would you give someone marar? Right? But he also sees that every single person at the table has one cup of wine. Okay. So everyone's making kiddush. At home, some people have the meaning that one person makes kids for everyone, but many people have the thing that if you have a bunch of families and they're married, you have your son-in-laws, each one makes kiddush. So to him, 
So the question the Rebbe asked was ridiculous, but I didn't hop that. All the kids saw is one cup. Why would he ask, why do you have four cups tonight? He doesn't know you have four cups tonight. So really, this Manashtana is, is based on our Chinuch and the Bahagada is saying, let them ask. You have to let them ask. If, if a Jew doesn't understand and something doesn't make sense, they have a right to ask. Certain things we have to say we don't understand. But never tell the kid not to ask. Because guess what? And I told this to the principal. You don't want Wallerstein to answer the question? You're going to go online and get some some atheist going to answer the question. That's what you want. Because their minds today are not the, the minds of the children when I grew up. When I grew up, we didn't ask those kind of questions. But today, because of the internet, because people's minds are much bigger and they're reading much more so they have much more questions and if you if you if you're not willing to answer the question what you're saying is that what I just taught you isn't true many years ago I remember after a share on a Wednesday night a, gr- a bunch of girls came to me they were in Brooklyn College and their their this Jewish teacher gave an assignment in religion, there was, I guess they would take religion because they thought they would get through that really easy because they were Jewish girls, they're from girls. And he said as an assignment that he wants you, each student, if you're, if you're Muslim or you're Christian or you're Buddhist or you're Jewish, you need to go into two other, um, religions, into their prayer buildings and explain the differences between your religion and the other two religions. Report, right? The from Beishak of girls, who shouldn't be in Brooklyn College anyway, but they're there, right? They should be in a terrace novel, a little advertisement. Um, they were on the spot because we're not allowed to go into a church. Uh, uh, what's it called? A mosque, you really are allowed to go into. I wouldn't tell you to go into it because there's, no, there's nothing in there. There's just carpets. They're not bowing down to anything. There's no, there's no symbols, there's no cross, there's nothing. You walk into a mosque, it's a room like this, with a bunch of carpets. So the actual mosque may not be a place that you, I would advise you to go into a mosque, don't get me wrong, you know, I, but as halacha, I don't know what the halacha of a mosque, because the whole thing is not really everybody deserves, because they don't believe in a, in a figure. The, the, the Christian religion has a figure of, of Yashka on the wall. So that's, that's a figure. But, so you're not allowed to go into a church. So now these Jewish girls had a problem. So after class, they went up to the professor. He knew. It wasn't the first time he taught this. And they said, we're really sorry, but we can't do this. We don't go into, into Buddhist, Buddhist temples, which is Tola Vajzara. Definitely not allowed to go in there. The little fat guy sitting there. They're all, you know, you're definitely not allowed to go there, right? Um, you're not allowed to go into it. You're not allowed to go into a church. That's for sure. So they couldn't, they couldn't go into two other religions. So they said, we can't do it. So he said, then write me a report why the rabbis don't allow you to go there. And on the way out of this class in Brooklyn College, a bunch of Goyen went over to these girls and said, how come you're scared to go to our place of, of prayer and we're not scared to go to yours? Are the rabbis scared you'll find the truth? This is what they said to them. Seems to be they don't want you to go to church right here because you're going to find the truth. And they had no answer whatsoever. And they came to me and said, Why can't we go? So, first of all, don't go to Brooklyn College. Okay. But they're not going to do that. They're not going to do that to you in Turo. And they're not, definitely not going to do that to you, for sure not, in, in a Terrace Nava. Religious something, something. They thought it's perfect. Jewish girl, I know everything. You know, they thought it's going to be an easy, po- a couple of credits, whatever it is. No, but they should know what to answer. And they should know how to answer. And they should understand, explain to them that to us there's something called Kedusha. There's a holiness. There's something called Tumah. And you guys may not understand what that means, but a Jew, it's, it's, it's like when you go into a fish store, even though you don't buy fish, you come out smelling from fish. It, has, it takes a piece of you to show it has part of you. What do you mean? You don't believe in fish? I do, I, but I go into a fish store, I come out smelling fish. So, we're not worried. There's, n- there's nothing that you're going to go into a church and you're going to be like, oh! 
I'm in a church, the Jewish religion is wrong. We're not skipping. There's no one talking to you. We're not asking you to talk to anyone, right? And if you go into a Buddhist temple, there's a little guy sitting over there with his belly sticking out, right? And I walk in there and I, I listen to them chant, right? I'm not going to... We're not worried. We're not worried. But if you go to a fish store, you can smell from fish. We, the Jewish Hashem, is on such a high level that any... And I would, I would say, and you know what? Abraham... If you look at the Bible, because that you can tell the Christians, because they studied the Bible, and so did the Muslims, that if you look at the, at the, you'll see that Abraham did not allow the angels to come into his house with sand on their feet, because they used to bow down to sand. Was Abraham worried that they were going to change Yitzchak? No. He didn't want anything impure to come into his house. Because our souls are so sensitive to dust. That the dust of uncleanliness will affect us. Those guys would have been, that would have been the end of that discussion. But nobody ever taught them. So some of them really had questions. Well, Wallstein, you think the rabbis were scared because they thought that we'd find out the truth? I'm like, you're a big soccer girl and you're, you're talking like that? What are you saying? What are you saying? And they're like, that's why the mission pick up says, Dah, you need to know what to answer and not be kairos. Because if you don't have an answer, then in your heart, a little bit's going to be like, you know what? Maybe he's right. It's very dangerous. So the first opening thing that we do in the Haggadah is ask, Tata Fragen, the fear kashes. Daddy, I want to ask you the four questions. Ask my child, Ask and I will answer you. I will tell you why tonight is different than any other night. We have to stop hiding and we have to stop being scared for our children to ask. The Torah is the truth. It's MS. What are you worried about? If you're worried that it's not MS, so what are you doing? <laughs> what are you doing? If you don't think it's the truth, so what are you saying to say it for? What are you doing? If you believe it's the truth, what are you scared of? You're scared of. If you know the truth, you're scared of someone asking you about the truth? Of course not. So it means you don't really know it's the truth. Why is everyone so scared to let children ask questions? And sometimes, you don't have the answer. That's fair. That's a fair answer. I don't have the answer. If you ask me, how does, I'm on a plane and my little grandson says to me, Zaydi, this plane is so heavy. How does it get off the ground? I didn't take physics. I didn't take aeronautics. I don't know what to answer him. I would tell him. I just know it gets off the ground. <laughs> That's why me and you are sitting here. Because if it didn't get off the ground, we wouldn't be sitting here. But honestly, Shefua, you have to take physics and aeronautics. And I didn't take it. So I don't really know the answer. Okay. Yeah. But if you ask me, so how does this plane get off the ground, Zadie? And I'm like, don't ask questions! No questions allowed! He's going to be like, I think I'm getting off the plane. Because I don't know if this thing's going to get off the ground. Or maybe it's not going to stay in the air. So the first part of Haggadah, the first part of building the person who is part of Klal let them ask. Abba Bunim. There are four kind of guys right after that we're saying like, not everybody asks the same question. The Russia says, what's up with all this stuff? And he cuts himself out. And the Tzaddik says, explain to me the Chaykim. And the Tom, like, doesn't really have a good question. And Shayim, the original is even worse. He doesn't even know how to ask. So the Bahagunda says, teach your child how to ask. No, we're not going to let Rabbi Wallstein speak because it's going to cause other people to think and ask questions, we're telling them if they didn't ask a question, go into school and make them ask a question. The Shani Delisho doesn't even know how to ask a question. Go in there and teach him, at the mother, teach him how to ask. Open his mouth. I'm not scared to ask questions. I know that Yiddishkeit, the Judaism, that the Torah is MS. So what am I scared of? That if I ask questions, I'm going to find something wrong? I'm going to find something false? If you think that, if you think you can't ask questions, that means that you don't believe it's the truth. Who was here before Hashem? 
Not, I can't answer that question. Honestly, it doesn't make a difference. Because right now, I'm dealing with Hashem. So it really doesn't matter who is here before Hashem. Because I'm living in His world. Or if there was a before Hashem, and there was never a before Hashem, what's the difference? The goldfish in the bowl doesn't really care what, who your father and mother are. They don't even know that you were born in Maimonides. The goldfish doesn't care what you because it doesn't make a difference in his life. He knows that when you sprinkle that little flakes in the morning, he comes up to the top, and he knows that you feed him. He knows nothing about you. If you ask him, goldfish, what kind of car do I drive? You know what I ate for breakfast? He's like, what do I care what you ate for breakfast? It means nothing to me. So all these questions about Hashem, why? What's the difference? What's the difference? It doesn't make a difference. The world definitely has a creator, and it was a cre- and the world is created, and that's my God, and what happened before, during, this and that, has nothing to do. So if you're asking those questions, it means you want out. It means you want out. Because you know you're not gonna, you get, you're not gonna get an answer. What's the difference? I see in everyday life, I see everything that my, Kishbokhul created in the world, I know he's there. All the other stuff, it's meaningless. He's my master. He's my king. He's my father. That's all I need to know. I don't need to know anything else. So I'm not scared to ask questions. I've asked questions since I'm a little kid. Or Nava is based on, on my, my major question as a kid that my Rebbe shut me down. I, you know, I lived in Muncie. I was outside and all day long I saw these butterflies and these caterpillars and I have, I'm doing chuva. I have to do chuva for the caterpillars because I used to take my magnifying glass and pop them. Right? It really wasn't nice to kill caterpillars that way. Right? But we were kids and, you know, it burnt the leaf and then we burnt the ant and then we burnt the caterpillar. So I try to burn my initials in it, but it didn't work. But, you know, so, so I, I, w- I was a kid and I, I just didn't understand you know, my English teacher was talking about metamorphosis and that the caterpillar becomes a butterfly. And I'm like, why? I always ask why. The reason I teach what I teach and I learn medrash and I learn everything is because I don't, I ask. I always ask why. I try to understand things. And I was like, I should have ran out of time? Like, why does a caterpillar become a butterfly? But a cat doesn't become a lion. <laughs> the only thing that that has a metamorphosis is a butterfly from a caterpillar. Even a tadpole that becomes a frog, right? Trust me, this is my head as a kid. A tadpole becomes a frog. It's not a metamorphosis. It's a tadpole is becomes a frog like a baby fetus becomes a human. But the only thing that has a metamorphosis is a caterpillar becomes a butterfly. And I said to my Rebbe in eighth grade, I don't understand. Why didn't Hashem create caterpillars when he created all the insects, right, on that day, and create butterflies? Why did the caterpillar have to become a butterfly? Nothing else does that. It doesn't make sense. God created everything. So create a butterfly and create a caterpillar. And then I asked him, why did Hashem have to take a part of Adam to make Chava? He created Adam from the earth. Why couldn't he create Chava from the earth? If you're creating, so why did you have to take a piece out of Adam and create a woman? You, you, you didn't have, a, you needed spare parts? Like what? You couldn't have done that, you couldn't have created a woman out of the earth the way you created Adam out of the earth? We would call Adam Adam and the female Adam we would call Adama. We put a hay at the end. Right? Adam and Adama. No. Shem said, you're going to go to sleep. We're going to do an operation. We're going to take a piece out of you. Then we're going to build a woman on, on part of you. Just, just create her. All right? I asked him that question too. These are logical questions. <gasps> you can't ask such questions because you're asking on Bria, Hashem. You're asking questions on Hashem. Hello? Answer the question. I have a question. So he told me, you don't ask questions. Just be it. You don't ask questions. Of course, it's like the part that when the, when your teacher tells you this Rashi you shouldn't look at because it's not what well, it's about women and men, whatever. Everybody who learns that Rashi, they were, <laughs> remember it by heart, and they remember. I gave one share of my life that was. Ve- I shouldn't say this because it's gonna uh, you get myself into trouble. I get during Shavuot. Shavuot is, is the week between Shmois and Mishpatim, and I gave a crazy Shavuot share to men. It has to do with an avera of a man. It's nothing to do with women at all. And I gave this share, and I said to Torah anytime, please 
It's not for girls. Put a tag next to it. What's it called? Not for women, for men only. The most hit sheer by women I ever gave. That's the Rashi that the teacher says, don't look at, right? So everyone looks at it. So, he said, you can't ask questions. It took a very, very long time. It took, it took 13, 30 years. I found the answer. Why did Hashem create metamorphosis? A Zayar. And the Zayar asked the question. What's with the parpar? Why a metamorphosis? Why didn't God... He ran out of time. He definitely didn't run out of time because they weren't created on the sixth day. So he didn't run out of time because things were still created on the sixth day. So he definitely didn't run out of time. He did it on purpose. Right? God wouldn't run out of time anyway. So the question is, Isaiah says the following. In the metamorphosis of a caterpillar becoming a butterfly... It dries up in the cocoon. And you can check this out. It becomes what's called a chrysalis. A chrysalis is powder. It dries up. It dies. Dies. It dries up. and becomes a chrysalis, which is a powder. From the chrysalis comes the butterfly. Says the Zayar that the raya, the proof God put into Bria, into creation, that he says that when Mashiach comes, there'll be Tchias HaMesim, that dead bones will come back to life. They will grow veins and skin. Tchias HaMesim. He said, I don't want you just to believe me. I am going to do it in the world that I created. I will create an insect that will become a powder, bones, nothing. And in the cocoon, it will grow wings, colors, blood, life. Eyes, antennas. Says Isaiah, the proof of Tchisamesim in this world comes from the papa, from the butterfly. So God created the caterpillar to become the butterfly to teach us that Tchisamesim can happen. My Rebbe told me, don't ask questions. Could you imagine there's a Zaya? Okay, most people don't learn Zaya and, uh, about butterflies, but whatever. But could you imagine if he would have told me this in eighth grade? I would have been from my whole life. I'm kidding. Right? <laughs> could you imagine? My Rebbe would have told me in eighth grade, Zechariah Wallstein, do you know why Hashem made a metamorphosis? The guy don't know why. He made a metamorphosis to teach you that when he tells you that dead bones are going to once have life, he's going to show you that he does it every day. I was in Florida. You should see the places they have with the butterflies. It's not normal. Butterfly jungle. Crazy. Gorgeous. Amazing. It's the most beautiful insect in the world. Comes from the most ugly insect in the world. I'm sorry, caterpillars. You're angry at me already anyway when I do it with my magnifying glass. But it's ugly. Little fat things with fuzz on it. They can't, they can hardly move. They're ugly. Look at them. If you ever look at them, they're, they're not pretty. And from them comes the most... You ask anybody in the world, tell me the most beautiful insect. They're not going to say a mosquito. <laughs> They're not going to say a fly. They're going to tell you a butterfly. Everybody. The most beautiful insect comes from the ugliest little creepy crawler who can do, I don't know, a foot a day. And a butterfly can fly who knows how far. If my Rebbe would have told me that in eighth grade... I would have been a different person. Oh my gosh. I would have gone outside and pointed to every butterfly. Kiss a mason! Kiss a mason! Kiss a mason! They would have locked me up. But okay, it doesn't matter. But I, do you understand as a child what that would have done to me? And as I got older to understand why did God have to take a piece of man? Why didn't he create a woman separately like he created a man separately? And the answer is that if, if man, if woman wasn't created for man, he would never be chasing the piece that he's missing. And he would not get married. So if Akashbaka would have created a separate Nikeva, a Chava, as a separate person, it would be very nice, have a good day. You can make supper and lunch, but there wouldn't be that vacuous. But because 
we as men are missing a part of us and you have that part of us. So we are missing something. So for fulfillment to become one, so it means to become one, we have to get married. Hashem would have created a separate, two separate entities. It wouldn't work. So he said, you go to sleep and I'm going to create her. When he woke up, he looked at, at a woman as part, this was a, someone who's walking around, she's part of me. Because Hashem took from me, it's like having a child. When you have a child, the child is part of you, came from you. Every woman came from man, sorry. You might, might be happy about that, but that's the way it is. You came from man. You are a part of man. We were here first. You're second. Not second, I'm not talking about in life or in marriage. I'm just saying. So you're, you're part of us. We're not part of you. You're part of us. We're not part of you. You're part of us. We're part of our mothers, of course. We get, like we said, where it is, but that's, so Kishbok has a cheshbin. Everything he does has a cheshbin. So when you ask questions and you get these answers, you realize, oh my, oh, this is amazing. You don't ask the questions and a butterfly is just a butterfly and a caterpillar is just a caterpillar. And a woman is just a woman, and you have absolutely no understanding of what's going on. So the beginning of the building of Kleistrel, and the beginning of building a Seder, is four children, four different kinds of children. And they should ask questions. I'll bring you a proof to it. The proof is that the halacha is, that if you're sitting alone, chas v'shalom, it should never happen. But if you're sitting alone at your Seder, have to say the Manishtana. Ask Chazal to who you're asking. You're, the, you, you're asking yourself? You're asking yourself? You're sitting there by yourself, and you're saying, why is tonight different than that? There's no one there to answer you. And Chazal said, yes! You have to ask yourself. You have to say the Manishtana, even though you're by yourself. You have to ask yourself. You have to get used to asking. And therefore, you have to sit there and say, what's going on here? There's no one there to answer you. But you have to want the answer. What's going on here tonight? Who are you asking? I'm asking myself. I don't understand. Why are we eating matzah? I gotta go find the answer. Why are we eating mara? I gotta go find the answer. It's a strange halacha. If I'm by myself, let me skip this. What am I, who am I asking? There's no one here to tell me the answer. And the, and the, and the answer is you have to ask. That's the people who grow. You have to ask yourself, I don't understand. When girls come to me, they're like, prove to me there's a God. I'm like, you, you just want, or you just want an answer or, you, or you, you, you have a question? You have a question I don't understand. My proof that, they, that it's not a question is, every girl that comes to me or any guy that comes to me and says, I don't believe in Hashem. And I, I'm like, did you have a question? Yeah, how did Hashem happen? How did Hashem I'm like, did you look for the answer? I want to know how many svarim, musa svarim, hashkafa svarim, how much work did you do to find the answer? Did you, did you spend 10 years in a base medrash, pulling out every safer and learning and trying to figure out and disproving everything? You don't have a question. Your question is your answer to your behavior. I had a question about butterflies. I studied encyclopedias. We didn't have Google. I went to Finkelstein Memorial Library in Muncie. I had to walk who knows how much, right? Went and got Encyclopedia Britannica because it had more stuff on, on all the stuff encyclopedias than any other encyclopedia. And I sat there. I'm a guy. What are you reading about butterflies? What is wrong with you? You're supposed to be reading about football and hockey, right? I'm a guy. I was like, I really, I don't understand. I really don't understand. And I'll tell you something else. A butterfly is not the same species as a caterpillar. The most important thing that I've learned over my life about the butterfly is that it's not a caterpillar with wings. It's not. It's not a caterpillar that grew wings. It died. Caterpillar died. It's no longer here. There's a new bria, a new creation that's a butterfly. And therefore, if you study the Latin and what they stand for and their species, a butterfly is not the same species as a lava, as a, as a 
as a species of a, of a caterpillar. It is totally a different species. Outside that of fly, right? It's a totally different species. So what do we learn from this? A Rambam. And the Rambam says that when a person who did sins does tshuva, the Lushen that the Rambam uses and the Lushen that the Zayar uses is he becomes a what? Beria Chadasha. It's not the old Miriam who did sins, now did tshuva, so she was dirty with sins and now she's clean. No, the Rambam says, that's not Miriam anymore. When you do tshuva, it's not Miriam anymore. She's not a caterpillar with wings. She's not the old Miriam. And therefore the Ramam says, change your name. Because you're a Berachadasha, change it from caterpillar to butterfly. So it's got to be from Miriam to Chayasara. You are not, according to the Ramam, you are not the same person. How could that be? I didn't have Era, I did Shuva, but I'm the same girl. No, I'll show you. There's a thing called a caterpillar, and he changed. And, and he's not, a butterfly is not a caterpillar with wings. So a person who does tshuva is not the same person. She went through a metamorphosis. And we pass in that we don't change the name, because guess what? Why don't we change the name? No, not that's a good answer, because you change your name. I got a better answer. Because if you change your name, I'm like, oh, so what sin did you do? If you change your name, that means that you were about David, you did tshuva. That's no one's business. So we don't change our name, but really, you're a Beria Chadasha. So the more you learn and the more you ask, the closer you get to a Kurdish Baruch. Sitting in school learning Mishlei and a Rashi, and you have all these questions in your head, and you don't have any answers, that pushes you far away from Yiddishkeit. It's a huge mistake. Yes, you have, the, you have to have the right people teaching who have the right answers, and if they don't have the right answers, they shouldn't be teaching. They shouldn't be teaching. Rashi asks... Gemara, whole Gemara is questions. And not only that, and I just told this to a boy. So I want to tell you how big Torah is. How big rabbis are. The Tanaim in the Gemara had the power of Tchiyas They were so great that they could take a dead person and bring him back to life. And, and there are stories that they did. They knew Sefi Yitzira Let's not even go to the Gemara. Let's go to Marami Prague. Marami Prague. Way after the Tanan. They were having problems, Pesach time, with the blood libels. He created a Gailam. If you ever read the story of the Gailam, they took clay. They took the four essentials, wind and fire and water and earth. They put the name of Hashem in his mouth. And he got up in the Gailam of Prague. I'm going back to Tanoim. And there were many, you, you don't learn Gemara, but there are many questions in the Gemara. And they went to these Tanoim. And in the end, they didn't have an answer. So you know what they wrote? Teku. Tav, Yud, Kuf, Vav. Teku. It's all over the Gemara. What does Teku mean? Tishbi, Yitarek, Mashiach will answer. Kashas Vishilas, all our questions. They weren't scared. Tanoim, Kudut Chiyas Hamesim, Ruach HaKodesh, knew Hashem's name. Forget about it. Not Rabbi Wallenstein. Tanoim, and they said, listen everybody, don't know the answer. Mashiach comes, we'll get the answer. They weren't scared to say that. And then he said, well, if you don't have the answer, then the whole thing is wrong. Take who, take who, take who all over the place. We'll wait for Mashiach. They argue all the time. They're exact opposites. Beishilo, we passing like today, most of his, and, and Beishamai will pass like in Mashiach's time. If you believe it's MS, you don't have a, you don't have a problem asking questions. So the beginning of the Haggadah before Dayenu, before the Makis, before anything, if you want to have a Muna, Ask. Tata is Wolfragen, the fear cautious. And I feel that Akash Baruchu is our Tata, he's our father, and he never has a problem when his daughters or his sons say, Tata is Wolfragen Akasha. Give me the answer. Help me understand. 
if you really want the answer, then you have to look for the answer. You have to do the research. In school, in the English world, in the, in the secular world, if you have a question, you, you do research. Lawyers do years of research. Biologists do years of research. Cancer specialists do years of research. Why are we scared to do research? So if a kid comes to me and says, how do you know that? I'm like, did you learn? Did you try? You didn't try? You don't have a question. So every single person sitting at that Seder, your old grandmother and your little teeny sister and your little granddaughter all have to say Manashtana. It's the only thing have to say Manashtana. And Pesach Matzomara, but the little kids don't have to say that. Under by Mitzvah, you don't have to say Pesach Matzomara. That's for us, anyone that's over. So the only thing that kids have to say and everybody has to say is Manashtana. Why? That is the basis of Yiddishkeit. You can't start to say it without it. And the reason we don't ask for the wine is because there's only, only one bottle of wine. Never be scared to ask. But to ask and not look for the answer means you're not really asking. I, it bothered me for years. I asked a question, I didn't get an answer. I did my research. Did I connect it to Hashem? That's way afterwards. That was the first year in Arnava when the girl said to me, like, you know, what are we doing here? Like, why, 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 what, you know, what are we supposed to do? We want to go dancing. You said, no dancing. You want music? You said, no music. Like, right, Walter, you're supposed to sit home and bake cakes? And I'm like, no, we'll give sure with that. And, and, and we took many questions and many answers. And you don't have to be scared to ask. But if you ask, you have to want the answer, and you have to do the research. If you ask a question and it bothers you, then you will not sleep until you find that answer. If you could sleep without finding that answer and you stopped looking for the answer, you didn't really care about your question. Okay, we're going to end. I want to leave you a message. And I'm going to answer the question on matzah. The question we opened up with is, why do you lean by matzah? Matzah reminds us of being poor. I don't know the last time I told this story, but this is the story. I told you the princess story. This is maybe even bigger. So the story goes like this. There was a, a king and a queen who had no children. And they were very, very, very special. And the kingdom loved them. They were the best king and queen in the whole world. And they had no children. And they asked everyone to pray that they should have a child. And the whole country prayed and fasted. And the queen became pregnant. And she had a baby boy. You could imagine that the place was crazy. And she had the baby boy and most of the country was very happy because they were very scared if the king and queen die without a child someone else is going to take over because there's no blue blood there's no royal blood and they're, they're going to lose this beautiful relationship but now that this baby was born the place was partying everybody was happy there was all kinds of, forget it like it was amazing a month after the no it wasn't a month it was a while after the baby was born this little boy became very sick and they brought all the doctors in the world to see him and nobody could cure him and he was dying. He had high fever, he was in slight coma, he was dying. And the king and queen were just sitting there crying all day and everybody was praying, but he was getting worse. And this one soldier comes over to the king and says, you know, king, I don't know if you're interested, but deep in the forest, one of your forests, they're savages. They, they don't, they have nothing to do with civilization. But when they get sick, they have a man, a, 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 someone there called the medicine man. He uses all types of trees and herbs and all kinds of stuff. It's not civilized, but maybe you could say it could save your, your child. He says, listen, I'll do anything. Bring him. So the soldiers come into the woods and they find this old, old man dressed in like rags and nothing. Like he's a savage. He lives in the woods. And, and everyone told him that's, that's the medicine man. So they go to his house and he's in this house and they come to him and he sees civilized soldiers and he's like... Doesn't want to have anything to do with them. They're like, no, you don't understand. There's a king and a queen that, that your forest belongs to their kingdom. And their son is very, very sick and it's their only child. And we're begging you to come try to help. So he's, he says, you have, I'll do it. And they push him. Anyway, to make a long story short, he puts, he takes his medicine bag, all kinds of stuff, weird stuff. And they bring him into the kingdom and everyone's looking like, this guy's going to help the vet. He's going to kill him. He's like, He's dressed in like rags and wood and long beard, unkempt. But he comes in and the king's like, are you the medicine man? He goes, yes. He says, do you think you can help my child? Let me see. 
he goes into the room the kid's really really sick and he says I have to ask everyone to leave the room and the, all the advisors are like this guy's a hobo he's a mishuganah what are you doing king he says listen my son's dying I have to I have to he says I need you to leave the room I'll come out I'll let you know so they all leave the room and the queen's like I don't know if we should do this we should leave him with him they leave they lock the door and this medicine man goes over to this kid who's totally white and just not in a coma and he looks at the kid and he looks, opens his mouth he looks at his tongue he says okay and he takes all his stuff out and he mixes this herb with that herb this with bark of this and bits of that and all kinds of stuff and the root of this and he puts it all together extremely bitter extremely bitter and he opens the mouth of the kid and he pours it in and the kid's like even though he's in a coma he's like splitting it out whatever and he makes him drink it he holds his nose and he makes him drink it and then six hours later he makes him drink it again of course everyone outside is like and the color starts to come back and to make a long story short the day after day he's doing this he's doing this and finally the fever goes away the child wakes up and the king says to, to this medicine man of course all the other doctors are very upset because they're gone they're done and the king says whatever whatever you want I'll give you but this, he doesn't want anything he lives off the, off the woods he lives on the earth he doesn't want money he doesn't want anything the old man looks at the king and he says I want one thing I want you to allow me to come once a week and teach this young boy the woods the medicine that I do because I'm old and I don't know if I'll be here forever and you need some of this in civilization you need some homopathic stuff would you let me teach your son? King said, I'm office. For sure. So once a week, he would come, take the kid into the woods, teach him roots and things, and teach him all this homopathic stuff. And they became extremely, extremely close. And there were times that this medicine man would even work with him in the palace. They had all kinds of stuff growing, whatever it was. And there were times that he would even sleep in the kid's room overnight and then go back to the woods because it was very late at night. He didn't want to go into the woods in the middle of the night. And this relationship began to grow. But at the same time, there were some really bad people in this kingdom. And they really wanted to take over the kingdom. But as long as the prince is alive, they know that the kingdom is going to go to him. So they plan to kidnap him. And to take him far, 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 far away and sell him. In those days, they had slavery. So one night, they climb up this ladder into the kid's room. And they put chloroform on his face. They knock him out. And they put him into a sack, and they carry him out the window. That night, the old man was sitting in the room. But being that he was a woodsman, he was in the corner. They didn't see him, but he saw them. And he realized that if he screams, they'll cut the kid's throat on the spot and run. So he can't scream. So he follows them, without them knowing, onto this ship. And they sail away, and they go to the West Indies, where they sell slaves. And they put this kid up. He's watching. He's He's watching. But he can't say anything, the woodsman, because he's with pirates. He says one word, the kid's dead. And they sell the kid to a very, very rich man who bought him because he also had a young boy and he wanted his son to be his friend. And he brings him to this, his son, and he says, I bought you a friend. And the son says, I don't want a friend. He says, but you don't have friends, I bought you a friend. And immediately... The son became very jealous of the prince. Of course, they were telling, he was telling everyone that he's a prince, and they were like, yeah, right. You're a slave, you're a nobody. They sold you as a slave. You're dreaming, prince, right. And this boy this, who didn't want any friends tells his father, let's put him in the kitchen. I'd be very happy if we put him in the kitchen and make him work with all the poor people. I don't want him. And they put him in the kitchen. He's a young boy. And he becomes part of the kitchen staff. And he lives in the filth and the dirt with all the poor people. And he has a job. He works 18 hours a day. No shower. No way to get clean. And all the people in the kitchen of this mansion are very hardworking, very poor people. They treated them all like very, very badly. And this goes on for years. And he totally forgets who he is. He doesn't remember anymore. But he's a prince. And after like a long, long time, the boy decides he still hates the prince. He's still jealous as much as he has no life anymore. 
And he tells his father, you know, you know that woman that works in the kitchen? You know the one that really smells bad? And she's not exactly pretty. I don't want to use the word ugly on a person, but like, like horrible Hilda. I don't know if you know horrible Hilda. She's a witch. She's like really bad looking. Okay. Let's make him marry her. Dad, you're the master. Let's take him. She's like 20 years older and forget about it. Right. Nobody would even go 100 feet of her. Right. So we could force him to marry her. Dad, I would have the best time. Let's do it. Father says, yeah, let's do it. So they walk into the kitchen. This kid's in ripped clothing. He's he's carrying pots. He's he's black from the oven. He's like, and they walk over to him and say, "Tomorrow night, you're getting married." Married to who? To her. To her. To her. Forever. Please, I'm begging you. I'm begging you. I'm begging you. I'll, I'll work another ten hours a day. I'll, I'll do whatever you want. Please don't make me marry her. We're your masters. Tomorrow is a wedding. Everybody in the kitchen, tomorrow night is a wedding between him and her. And of course, this lady was like, wow, get this young guy. So she's all happy. Like, you're mine. And he's like, oh my God, I'd rather jump off a bridge. He comes back to his room. He's broken. He's so broken. He's a young guy. She's like, he can't even imagine living with her the rest of his life. And he's sitting and he's crying. And the old man comes out of the corner. He says, it's time. And the kid's like, who are you? What are you doing in my room? He says, I've been in your room for years. I've been watching you for years. What are you talking about? He says, the old man looks worse than him. He's like, I'm a sugar. He's like, what are you talking about? He goes, do you know who you are? Yeah. I'm kitchen help. I'm getting married to Hilda the Horrible tomorrow. He says, No. You're a prince from a faraway country. He's like, liar! Why are you telling me these things? And it's a long story. This story could take an hour to say. I'm not, I'm not going to tell you the whole story. But in the end, he realizes that he can't get to the kid. The kid, so long a slave. So long in the kitchen. His memories of who he was are totally erased. And he tells the old man, get out of my room and leave me alone. And the last second, the old man says, I'll leave you, but I want to make you a deal. And he takes out a flask of medicine from the medicine that was left from when the kid was sick. And he says, just drink a little of this. He says, what is that, poison? He says, you know what? If it's poison, no problem. It's better than her. So he gives him the drink a little bit. So bitter. It's not the first time I've ever tasted this. Give me a little more. Gives him a little more. He goes, when did I have this? When did I drink this? He says, listen to me. You were a little boy. You were so sick. I gave this to you to make you better. Come on, remember. Just give me a little bit more. Oh, you know what? I was in a bed. A huge bed. That's not the kind of bed that you sleep in if you're a poor kid. Give me more. Give him more. He says, oh my gosh, there's a, there's a man with a crown and a beautiful woman looking at me. He says, that's your father and mother. That's the king and queen. He says, give me more. And he starts to remember and everything is coming back. He's like, what are we going to do? He says, we're going to sneak out. I have a boat waiting, a little rowboat. We're going to get out of here. They catch us, so they'll kill us. You get into the boat, get to a bigger boat that this old man had set up a long time ago. They come back to the country that he came from. And the old man doesn't recognize it. Everything's dark and desolate. The people are walking around with their heads down, their cobwebs. It's not the country they left. It's totally depressing. They come to the castle. They come into the castle, nobody stops them. They walk into the throne room. The king is sitting there with his head down. And the queen, they look like skeletons. They look like they haven't eaten. The whole place is gloom. And the medicine man says to the king, Sir, I brought your son home. And the king starts to chuckle and he laughs. Another one? You're another fake? You're another fraud? You know, over the last 
how many years people came and said that they brought back my son and they tried to to I know that wasn't my son. I would know if it was my son. He says, King, just just look at him. And the king picks up his head and the queen picks up their head and they look at this boy. He looks exactly like his mother. And they're like, oh my God, it's him. I can't explain to you what happened, but you can imagine the whole kingdom turned around. The prince was back. What a crazy story. One of the best stories I ever heard in my life. I wrote it. This is my story. I wrote this story. Do you know why I wrote this story? I wrote this. This this story. If anyone ever tells you they heard this story outside of me, they didn't. I wrote this story. (laughs) And I had a big imagination. When I wrote the story, it was a much bigger imagination. They climbed up, the chloroform, whatever. It was a much... But I wrote this story. Why did I write this story? Why, what's this story all about? So let me tell you what the story is all about. There was a king and a queen. There was the UK Vavke and there was the Shechina. And they had no nation and they had no children. And they went around the world and they asked for all kinds of nations to be their child. And Asaf said, says don't kill, I'm not interested. Yishmol said, says don't, don't commit adultery, I'm not interested. And then they had a child. They had Abraham Avinu, they had Klai Yisrael. And the child got very sick. The child ended up in Mitzrayim for 210 years, and the child got very sick. So sick that the child hit the 49th level of Toma. The child went into a coma. And the Kodesh Baruch Hu said to his angels... I will go down and I will heal them. Kishbach was the old man from the woods. And on the night of Pesach, I will give them a mitzvah. In order to heal them, to get them out of Mitzrayim, they have to eat matzah, Pesach, and Mara. And one of the biggest questions on, on Pesach is if Pesach it's matzah. The reason that we ate it, when you say Pesach matzah tomorrow, it says Alma. Why do you eat matzah? Because when we left the Trium, the, the bread couldn't, right, couldn't rise, it baked. Then the biggest question in the world is, but the night of midnight, when the, when the, when it was Makkah's Bechoros, we had a mitzvah to eat the current Pesach with matzah. But we didn't leave the Trium yet. If the whole reason that we eat matzah is because when we left Mitzrayim, we didn't have time to bake it, why did I eat matzah in Mitzrayim? We didn't leave yet. And what memory was that for? It's a bomb question. The matzah that we ate in Mitzrayim, we didn't leave yet. So the reason that we eat matzah is because we left so fast, we were home. We didn't leave yet. So the, the, the Chazal say that the matzah in Mitzrayim was a special mitzvah on that, for that time. And that's not why we eat matzah today. We eat matzah today because we ran out of Mitzrayim. Why did they eat matzah in Mitzrayim? It was a special mitzvah that Hashem gave Chai Yisrael in Mitzrayim. We do not eat matzah in memory of that. That was a mitzvah called Chai for that moment. Ladies, why did we eat matzah? Why did he give us matzah? If we didn't leave yet, why did we have a mitzvah to eat matzah? And the answer is, Zayar calls matzah lechem de menusa, the bread of Amuna. God said, they are so sick on the 49th level of Toma, I have to give them medicine, which is bread of Amuna, otherwise they're never going to leave. Matzah doesn't taste like anything. So we were sick. And we got better. And the man in the woods, which is God, nursed us back to health. But what happened is, we got kidnapped. And we got sold into slavery. And we're in Gullis for 2,000 years, working in the kitchen. Getting married to Hilda the Horrible. Married to our phones. Married to our technology. Married to our fashions. Married to all our stupidities. Married 
to the Gaisha world, to their music, to their movies, and with their so long, 2,000 years, we forgot who we are. We forgot that we're princesses and princes. So God says, when you sit around your Seder, you have no idea who you are. I am telling you that you are kings and queens. You are princes and princesses. And you're like, I don't remember that. I'm working really hard. I'm in college. I, you know, I got my iPhone, all my stuff. Like, it's going to be such a challenge to be by the Seder and not have your iPhone. Oh, my God. The addiction. Right? And you're sitting there. But Avdus, we're back in slavery. Hashem says, eat matzah. Shamala, the shamala that is that you, you, you don't even know who you are. You're a slave. You're in the kitchen for two thousand years. Just have some matzah. It's lechem the name and we eat the matzah, and our souls are like, because all our souls were there in Mitzrayim. Our souls are like, what is that? I've had that so long ago. What is that? Give me a little bit more matzah. Has to be kazayas, not a little piece. Has to be kazayas. Give me a little bit more. Give me a little bit more. A little more. The shepherd's like, I remember. Oh my God, we were leaving Mitzrayim. I remember. We saw God. We saw his niece and we saw his influence. And it wakes it up. The matzah is the bitter medicine that we had in Mitzrayim. The matzah we had in Mitzrayim that we're not eating matzah lezecher. It was the matzah that, that got us out of the 49th level of Tumah. And the matzah that we eat wakes us up to who we really are. You're not a bunch of people working in a kitchen. You don't belong to the guy. You don't belong to the world. You're different. You should look different. You should walk different. You should feel different. That's the matzah does. And therefore, when you eat it, because it brings you back to being a king and a, and a, and a, a prince and a princess. Because it brings you back to who you were. You have to leave. Because that matzah is that medicine. And that medicine is bringing you back to what? You're a prince. You're a triumph. You're a melech. Brings you back to malchus. So even though it's lachma anya, it's poor man's bread, yes, it's poor man's bread, but it reminds me of when I was rich. When I was special. When God did open miracles. When I saw him. Even in the yam, the worst maid saw him. And therefore, when I eat my matzah, I lean. May we all be zaycha. It says, Hashta avdei, Rishon ha'abob b'nei chayrin. Chasal Pesach. That we are servants. What do you mean we're servants? Who's in this room as a servant? Yeah, we're servants to our phones, technology, to COVID, to money. We are servants. And I told the girls yesterday when I spoke in deal, sit there by the Pesach Seder, come out of there and say, one of the things I'm a slave to, whether it's my non-Jewish music, it's my lack of sneers, it's my movies, it's my Russian horror that I talk about on Facebook and all these other technologies that I deal with and social networks. Take yourself, ladies, to, by the Seder, out of one slavery. We all have a lot of slaveries. We got a lot of slaveries. So that when you say, next year I'm going to be free, you'll sit next year at the Seder if Mashiach doesn't come, Chatz Shalom, and say, you know what, Hashem? Last year I was a slave to my, whatever it is, to my, whatever it was, I got rid of that. I'm free. I became free. Whatever that is. Movies, whatever you want to give up. Give up one thing. One thing that you're, you're addicted to, because addiction is a slavery. And then, if you do that, the Shana Yishalayim. Thank you very much. Try to say that story over by the, uh, by the Seder. You've just experienced another Torah class brought to you by TorahAnytime.com.